Hello, and welcome to the VallejoCon podcast series. This is Marjorie Durvin. I'm a director at VallejoCon, and I'm delighted to have with us today Chris Gish. Chris, would you introduce yourself to our listeners today? Sure, Marjorie. Thanks very much. I'm Chris Gish. Most recently, I was vice president of sales at Synovian Pharmaceuticals up in beautiful Marlboro, Massachusetts. Before that, 21 years at Pfizer. I've been in the business about 27 years now in sales and training and some marketing roles, but I'm a, I'm a sales guy. Excellent. Well, you're the guy we want to talk to about today in terms of our topic of pharma sales force effectiveness. Excellent. So um, there's a common misconception. There's pharma sales forces have really been very much decreased from a great big high to maybe cut in half or even smaller. But yet there still is a war for talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's an interesting dynamic. We've gone from about 110,000 pharma reps in the U.S. in 2005 down to about 55,000. That number seems to be holding steady at this point. And my most recent experience, what I see is people who are still doing this work, they've survived a layoff. Maybe they've gone through a layoff, changed jobs, and there are more and more smaller companies looking to hire these people. So my experience, for example, at Synovian was we were always under pressure to make sure our people were engaged and liked being at Synovian because it was always somebody that seemed to want to hire them. It makes sense to me. So it's definitely a war for talent. A lot of people think that the sales rep will go away. Uh, that's a common, but I, I started hearing that in 1992. It hasn't <laughs> happened yet. I'm not saying it won't. I think we got too big and now we're getting back down to a more normal size. It's like a lot of too much of a good thing. But I do think the job's gonna change a fair amount going forwards. But there's definitely a war for talent, I think. So what have you found to be uh, the secret sauce for engagement of Salesforce reps? Well, engagement's key because that's how you keep people in the seats and you know, driving around in their cars and doing what they what they love and want to do. Culture is a word that gets used and tossed around a bit. I, I like to, my, my favorite quote from Peter Drucker, culture eats strategy for breakfast. He, he's right, and I, I'll take that one step further. In, in culture, what I call operational culture is what creates engagement for people. Operational culture is kind of the way things are at work. It's the, the answer to the question most reps would have when they say, what's it like to work at company X? And they start talking about, well, I have this great relationship with my boss. There's a lot of transparency. It's a high trust environment. I feel like people listen to what my opinions and things like that. That's engagement at work. When you get it right, it's like a secret sauce, to use your word. I, I like to think of it as like a, a lubricant. It's like oil. It makes everything go faster and it makes everything easier to do. One more question before we move on to the topic of selling strategy. I was just wondering, given all the extreme attention and pharma really being under a microscope, how does that play into the engagement of sales reps? Well, it's important, again, to make sure that sales reps understand the rules under which they have to operate. Yeah, and there's a lot of changes about people in different roles, MSLs, the sales reps, a phone rep, perhaps a digital communication and knowing how to interact with all those pieces of the conversation, which are kind of new for a lot of people, is important. So it's important for the reps to, to understand the rules in which they operate and kind of how their role as a sort of person on the ground fits in with all the other things that the company might be directing at that customer. Excellent. So really, there's a lot of elements here to keeping our sales reps engaged. What about the issue of the key drivers of sales strategy today? Yeah, so selling strategy, and I distinguish that from, from product strategy. The product strategy is real about what's good about our product, what do we know people like about it, what about our product will drive people to action. Selling strategy is how do we get that information in front of the customer so that they'll act on it. 
So we have to understand the whys. And a lot of times I think pharmaceutical companies miss this selling strategy piece because they sort of just distribute the to-do items. Everybody go here, do this, say this, here's your list, go. And they leave out the why. And that's, that's not a good place to start from because the reps went to college too. I'm a fan of saying that. They're just as smart as everybody else. And so they deserve to have all the information that made that marketer think this is such a great idea. Or this is what we need to do. It's a critical thing. So it starts with the why. And you have to sort of push that through the whole organization so that everyone's aligned on, yes, we need to do this. This is the smart play. That's what I want to do. Then it starts with understanding where the opportunity really is. Pharma was famous in the, the old days for just sort of spreading it reps across the world like butter and just everywhere. But some doctors don't see reps anymore. You have good tools about, you know, they're crowdsourced now that a lot of companies participate in. We know that there's about 20, 25% of doctors now that just don't see reps at all. So there's no reason to vote planned workload against those doctors. So in your selling strategy, plan for what you really know you can expect on the ground. If you know that doctor really only sees people a couple of times a year, plan for that. And then use that time to devote it to someone else who's more likely to talk to your rep that you're going to send that way. Likewise as well, now you have to think about the rep. The rep's not operating on their own anymore. They operate in an ecosystem of digital communications, of MSLs, other communications from the company. So it's much more a circle around this customer now. And we have to realize that all those pieces around the customer have to be able to talk to each other. So that's part of your selling strategy. So your deployment needs to be considered here for selling strategy. You have to lead with that why. That's very important so that everybody understands the wisdom of what we're trying to do to get people to do on the ground. And then you have to deal with things like you know, where we have access and where we have both the physician and through our, the payers on the ground. It's no sense deploying people in an environment where there's no opportunity. Great. Well, I wanted to also ask you, obviously, there's so many channels and ways people get information today. Can you talk a little bit about how you align your strategy with digital and other non-face-to-face campaigns to create some synergy? Well, that's a fast-evolving area of the business. When you get into that, okay, well, how is this actually going to work on the ground? Four, five, six years ago, it was not uncommon for me to see campaigns that there was a digital person planning a digital campaign completely in isolation from a sales force that was planning to try to talk to that same customer. The smart companies now are starting to integrate all their relationship management information into a single database and be able to act on that. It takes a lot of computer power source to understand this doctor consumed this kind of digital communication, then they took these three high value actions, maybe they wrote a prescription, did something like that, the rep visited at this day and then this happened, and feeding that back in a loop to everybody involved. So you really have to put it on a big grid and understand that everything is a touch point with that customer. So you want to plan that out. So for example, your digital planner needs to know that the rep is intended to be at that customer's office that week and maybe space their digital communication out in the following week. That takes a fair amount of degree of precision, but the smart companies are doing that Mm -hmm. and they're figuring out how to do it. In fact, then the next evolution comes from educating that rep and thinking of them less like a piece of a machine and more like a quarterback in front of that customer. The most effective digital campaigns now are the ones that are initiated through the rep. So the rep actually sends the email out of their inbox and it's 70% more likely to be open, for example. So having the rep direct a lot of this digital communication is the next place we're going and much more of a quarterback role than we are now where they're sort of part of this big machine around the customer. That's where the business is evolving to. And the people who can execute and pull all those strings together into a coordinated plan are the people that are going to be ahead of the game. Fascinating. So you've talked a number of points in our conversation so far about the 
role of the sales force as being kind of an orchestrator of different resources within the organization, whether it be MSLs, medical, regulatory. Can you talk a little bit about how that plays into execution? Yep, absolutely. You really have to identify for the sales force what are the high value actions that you really want them to deliver against. A lot of times people make that list, and here's a secret, that list of high value actions is no more than five, and it's best when it's three or four. We need you to talk to long-term care specific physicians. We need you to focus more effort on pediatric neurologists with that sort of clarity. Companies often make that list very long. They'll call it a playbook, and if you look at it with any rigor, you'll see that there's really about 12, sometimes 20 different things they want people to do that are important to somebody in the organization. It's just too many. So to coordinate all this together, the rep really has to have a full understanding of the role that other people are playing and bring that together in front of the customer. So the rep needs to be able to know that the physician interacted with the website. The rep needs to be able to know that the MSL was in there talking to that physician and also be able to direct that MSL into the physician. Hey, I had a conversation with this customer. This is something that would be most appropriate for you to handle. I need you to come in and introduce you to the physician. All of those things have to link up and they all have to be operating on the same game plan. It wasn't very long ago that you would go to brand planning sessions and you would see that medical would have one brand plan and commercial would have another brand plan. That's really not going to cut it going forward. Not because we need to mesh those things together. They have to stay separate appropriately, compliantly. So my previous company did it really well. They came up with brand objectives and then everybody laddered up to those so that you knew that medical was on the same page when it came to particularly dealing with customers as the commercial side was. So let's bring this conversation full circle. The reason we have the sales force to begin with, which is really to drive results to the bottom line. Can you talk a little bit about how you identify and connect results enterprise-wide? It's a great question. It starts with identifying a core set of results that matter to everyone. You see it a lot in organizations. You go to a forum session and they're tracking, you put a huge spreadsheet up on the wall and they're tracking 20 different things and there's something there for everybody. This person to be, I like that number, it looks good, it's going up. I'm upset about this number over here. Again, the critical number here is three, four, maybe five critical results that you're really tracking. Perhaps it's market share, perhaps it's new prescribers, those kinds of things. And then you've got to have, this is the key word, transparency. A lot of organizations are very siloed. There's marketing, there's sales, there's market analytics, and sort of everybody has their version of what's going on. The best companies have all those people in a room on a regular basis. And it's driven around this transparency. We're not here to sort of just have a broad discussion. We're all looking at information up on the big wall. It's color-coded red. We've agreed in advance what red means, what yellow means, what green means, so that we can spend time not talking about are we looking at the right thing. We can talk about, hey, result number three, which was we wanted to see an increase in prescribers in pediatric neurology. That's flat. Can we talk about what's going on with that? That's the kind of transparency that drives strong results. It starts with identifying the right number and making sure that they have a lot of visibility through the right kinds of reports and dashboards into the organization and that they don't get clouded out by everybody's favorite metric that they want to add on. It's hard for people not to do that. Everyone has a favorite thing they like to measure and it can be very hard for people to go, no, we're we're actually not going to measure that or we're not going to talk about it in this meeting where we're here cross-functionally to look at results. So I love the disciplined approach that you're really bringing to Salesforce effectiveness and really focusing on the things that really matter. 
I really want to thank you so much for joining us today, Chris, and sharing your insights about Salesforce effectiveness. Thanks, Marjorie. It's my pleasure, and it's always great to see you. And hello to everybody out there, and happy Salesforce effectiveness to all. Thanks.